promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone." Jesus said to him again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the gospel of our Lord. may be seated. And let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. It is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let me ask you, what is your greatest temptation? Is it chocolate? Uh, hot dogs, uh, beer, uh, rated R movies that don't have Jesus in them, um, that latest Netflix series, uh, your favorite sports team that breaks your heart all the time, <coughs> Packers. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, it could be almost anything, your greatest temptation. Well, this morning I'm here to tell you it's not what you think it is and that whatever you have in your mind right now is wrong. That's my job. I've been gone for two weeks. I'm a little testy. Sorry. Uh, last week, last weekend, uh, Carrie and I had the privilege of taking 10 of our students to the Central Coast, uh, San Luis Obispo, for our second annual coastal youth retreat. Six of them came back, <laughs> which, is, which is really good. We only lost four. That's pretty good average. That's better than batting 300. I'm just kidding. The other four will probably be here for the second service. Um, but before we left, Friday, Carrie and I were getting... A uh, bunch of stuff together. We went to Walmart. We had some other things that we needed to uh, we needed to get for the trip. Some food and and water and some some other some other stuff. And and we're leaving Walmart. And it's like ten minutes after eleven o'clock in the morning. We're leaving at four. I get a phone call, and it's a lady from the rental car company. Because you see, uh, at a certain point about a month and a half ago, Carrie and I were like, oh yeah, we can we can. Take everybody over there in our two cars, Hurricadia and Manfred, my, my little Elantra out there. And then suddenly more kids started signing up. And so Carrie and I looked at each other and went, uh, we're not going to be able to do this. And, uh, you know, in the Acadia and the Elantra, I, I picture kids being strapped to the roof going 75 miles an hour down 58. Um, 
which that's fast, but sorry. Um, and, and so I, I talked to Chris, and we were like, oh, let's rent a minivan. So we rented a minivan a couple of weeks before we left. Well, this person from, from the rental company calls, and she says, hi, Mr. Smee, wondering if you're going to pick up your minivan today. I'm like, uh, yeah, my pickup time is noon. I've got a little while. And she's like, okay, hold on a second. There's silence, and I'm listening to the elevator music, and I'm going, what's this all about? She comes back on the phone and says, uh, Mr. Smee, we don't have a minivan for you, uh, but we do have a Dodge Durango for you. I said, well, I didn't rent a Dodge Durango. I, you, you go online, and there's a section that says minivan. If I wanted Dodge Durango, I would have picked SUV. And she's like, well, we don't have the minivan for you. I said, well, I just drove by the parking lot like a couple hours ago on the way to breakfast. There was a minivan right there. She said, well, it got rented to somebody else. I'm like, well, how come they got the minivan and not me? And, and she's like, well, they put in the reservation before you. I'm going, so you're telling me there are no more minivans in all of California, rental car companies. And she said, well, we have a Dodge Durango for you. I'm going, I'll be there in just a little bit. So Carrie and I go home, we unload the car. Needless to say, I'm not happy, right? So we get to the rental place and I'm looking around the parking lot. There's not a Dodge Durango. I walk in the office and they go, um, yeah, so we don't have a Dodge Durango for you. It's got a flat tire. I'm, needless to say, my wife is stroking my arm going, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Because she can tell my, my face getting a little red and a little testy. I'm like, okay, so, so you don't have a minivan for me. You don't have a Dodge Durango for me. What are you going to do for me here? And, and she says, well, we have a 15-passenger van down in Victorville that, that, we're going to bring up here for you. I said, well, I didn't rent the 15-passenger van because you wanted $1,000 for the weekend. We're a church. We're building a music room. We can't afford to rent a 15-passenger van for the weekend. She said, well, we'll give it to you at the minivan price. You would think a normal person would go, oh, thank you so much, and give them a high five and leave. I'm not a normal person. For me, it's like the principle of the thing. I rented a minivan. I want my minivan, and I want it now. I was not happy about it. And then when they said they wouldn't have it here till 3.30, I'm kind of looking at them going, we're leaving at 4. I've got to load stuff, plus put children in there, all that stuff. So, so everything's running through my head of everything bad that could happen. Trying to park a 15-passenger van in Pismo Beach on a holiday weekend, for instance. <laughs> yeah. So finally, I just said, okay, fine, whatever. There's nothing I could do. They had me, you know, and I'm just, I'm not happy. And it gets here by 2 o'clock, and I'm driving the thing. I'm going, holy cow, like trying to take this on 58 through the mountains. That's going to be fun. And it ended up working out actually really, really well. It, they, they gave us an 80% discount. It was less than what the minivan was going to cost. But where did I go with it? I went to my default, my default, which is fear, anxiety, and frustration, because things were not working out the way I wanted them to, that my plan was getting thrown out the window. I wanted my minivan, and so I'm sitting here having all of these fears, all of these worries coming into me that's causing me basically to doubt that anything is going to go well for the entire weekend, which it actually did. It was a fabulous weekend, right? You can nod. Yes, it was a good. Thank you, Tony. 
It was a fabulous weekend. We had so much fun. It actually worked out for my wife because she didn't really want to drive all the way to San Luis. And so we all fit in the van and it was, it was semi-perfect, although, was, you know, suspension needed some work. But it, it was okay. But you see, my greatest temptation isn't chocolate or alcohol or caffeine or, or whatever. It's that movement towards lack of faith, towards fear, towards anxiety. Towards those things of me denying myself the fact that God sits here and goes, hold my beer, I've got this. (laughs) The temptation to worry because my plan had failed. The worry that things are not going to go right, at least not the way that I think is the right way. The worry that the promise that God makes of I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, even to when there's no more minivans. I sit here and go, I don't think that's going to be true. So again, what is your greatest temptation? What is that thing that causes you to lose faith? What is that thing that causes you to take your eyes off your Jesus? What is that thing that quite literally comes into your life and makes you lose him, that steals Jesus away from you, So that all you are left with is yourself and your own attempts to try and make the whole world the way you want it to be. That's what we have here in our gospel reading, in fact. In our gospel reading in in Matthew chapter 4, which this is the traditional text for the beginning of Lent, wanting to get at us with all our temptations, all our sins, all those things that that try and keep us from from loving God or whatnot. And and, uh, historically, we can look at this, and and theologically, we can look at this and say, well, it's a rehashing of, of two instances in the life of the people of God with God. One of them is the fall. We have that for our Old Testament reading chapter three of Genesis. You can go back and read it yourself. We've we've preached on that before. The whole attempt by Adam to want to be God. And just as Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. Adam is you and you are Adam. You want to be God. You want to have control. You want to be in charge all the time. And here we have Jesus being put in that exact position to try and be his own little deity God on his own to take care of everything on his own. And he doesn't do that, does he? The second one you can go to is the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness of the, of the Israelites, uh, because that's where Jesus goes with his quoting of Scripture. We're going to be talking about that down on Team 784, so I don't want to elaborate on it too much, but it's there that the Israelites are spending all their time complaining about where God has placed them, expecting that life is supposed to turn out a particular way, and it's not where maybe they're quoting to to themselves that uh, wonderful American Christian heresy of God has a wonderful plan for your life. And they keep quoting that to themselves while they're looking around at all the dirt and all the tents and all the manna and all these other things and going, this doesn't seem like a wonderful plan. In In our text... This morning, it's often been preached. I know I'm guilty of this. That is, you know, these are touching on three different temptations that come to us in life. Uh, I, I now think that's not true because the reality is, is the devil only has one note to sing. He only has one song. 
He only has one game to play. He wants to steal from you the word of God. He wants to steal from you the promise. He wants to make you doubt that you even have a God, to doubt his promise made to you, and to doubt that your Jesus is for you. He wants to remove you as far away as possible from Good Friday, from the empty tomb on Easter morning, from the resurrection of the body that comes at the end of days. And so he goes after all the things that we try to hold most dear. He, he, you know, For instance, he, he goes after Jesus at his most vulnerable, right? How many people here suffer from hangry sometimes? Right? Jesus has been fasting and, and, and the devil comes and does the exact thing that he does to us all the time when we think that God is not providing. And he uses the same question as he does in Genesis 3. Where in Genesis 3, it's did God really say, here it is, well, if you really are the son of God, did God really tell you that you were his child? Did God really tell you that you were his chosen one? Then why are you hungry, Jesus? Why do you not have a buffet before you? Oh, but there's these rocks, and you have these special powers. Just turn them into loaves of bread. You'll be good. How often it is that we wish we could do that, right? That we could take things into our own hands when we think that, that God has, has abandoned us, when we are at our worst, when we are at our most vulnerable And yet Jesus just quotes scripture and says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I could quote that to you at your worst time, and you'd say, well, that's nice, but will words help me not be hungry? No. But I could feed you right now, and then tomorrow morning you'll be hungry again. But what God has to say of you, the promise that God gives you, lasts forever. Where even when you're hungry, the promise is still there. Even when you are most upset at God for not providing you a minivan, God is still there with his promise. He also goes after his safety, right? The whole take him up on the pinnacle and go, skydive, swan dive, Jesus, do an amazing miracle. You just float down like Iron Man. Angels will come and help you. And the devil even quotes scripture going after us for whether God has taken care of us, whether God is going to protect us. This is us in our if-then prayers. I know all of you have done it because all of you are me. If God, then dot, dot, dot. Never mind the fact that the then part is probably something you should be doing anyways. But we come to God all the time. Well, if God, you'll do this, then I'll do such and such. If you'll help me pass this test, I promise I will never. And God sits here and goes, well, you had the opportunity to study. You know, you could have worked at that. Our our positions where we think that we can barter with God or, or buy him off. And Jesus just comes with that one piece of scripture to say, do not put the Lord to the test. Don't do not assume that God is going to be doing a certain thing for you or has to do a certain thing for you. And then finally, it goes after the whole reason why we are in the predicament we are in from Genesis 3, wanting to be in charge, wanting to have our own power, all of it wanting to get rid of our Jesus, get rid of our God, get rid of the promise that we have a God, because the devil just comes and says, you see all these kingdoms, I'll give them to you, just worship me. Never mind the fact that the devil is lying, right? Those kingdoms aren't his to give away. And Jesus quotes one more time from Deuteronomy, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. 
proclaiming one more small little word to remind us that we have a God. The promise of God for you is the only thing you have in life and death. Everything else is nothing. Everything else will fade. It will fail you, but God won't. I say this because I have to preach to myself all the time. I say this in every sermon. I can't get up here and preach to you unless I preach to me. And so after the minivan incident of 2023, this text has been sitting with me all week. And some of you may say, well, pastor, that's not very pastoral of you. You should not fear or worry. You're supposed to be an example of faith to us. You have to be an example of godly living and blah, blah, blah. I tried that. I grew up in the Nazarene church, all that holiness stuff. If you expect me to be perfect or holy or righteous or special or something, you got the wrong guy. Just ask my wife. That's why Jesus is precious to me. That's why I always want to hand him over to you, give him to you, force feed him to you if I have to. Because in spite of my faith or lack thereof, my my faith that is like shifting sand that changes with every wave, I can remember and know that Jesus is the one who comes for the weak. He comes for the broken. He comes for the wayward. He comes for the sinner. He comes for the person who's upset because there is no minivan. He doesn't want the righteous. He doesn't want the religious. He doesn't want the holy. They're boring. He's come to call sinners to himself, and that's it. He's come to bring freedom to sin's captives. He's come to speak life to the dead. And all those things are me. All of them. And they're you too. Not all that other stuff. Even here in this cosmic battle in the wilderness, Christ does his job of speaking life, speaking promise, even to Satan. He's preaching to the devil, preaching the promise. He's holding out hope that the word of God would repent, would turn the accuser, the meddler, the liar from his ways. The the devil comes with that question of, did God really say, or if you are the son of God? And Jesus just tells him, yes, I am, but let me tell you of this God you despise. knowing that in a way Christ's death even covers the sin of Satan himself. As we head through Lent, cling to the reality and truth of Christ as this one who died for the ungodly. That's Romans 5, verse 6. You need to go back and check my work. That while you are still in your sins, Christ died for you. While you are doubters, while you are tempted, while you are weak, Christ died for you. You want to know how I know? Because I've studied history. How many of you came out of the womb sinless? Hands up. Show of hands. We got some honest people in the room. We don't have to recatechize everybody. How many of you have sinned since birth? Come on, show of hands. Come on. Come on now, we just confessed sins. We just got them forgiven. How about this? How many of you have sinned this week, have lacked faith, did not trust in God, hated your neighbor? There'll be a test later. I say I know history because on a hill outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was given to die for you, and for his sake, God forgives you all your sins. Did you hear that? 2,000 years ago, he did this. Not tomorrow, 2,000 years ago. He looked into history and went, oh, 
That congregation at Grace Lutheran Church in Ridgecrest, what a bunch of sinners they are. Look what I need to do. It happened that Good Friday outside Jerusalem before you were a twinkle in your grandfather's eye, Christ died for you. Christ said, I know their faith will waver. I know they won't trust. I will give them something to trust in of what God has to say of them. And it involves a cross and an empty tomb to hold on to from the past to give you a future. And so in your sins, you have a Savior who already died for you. It is done, and you can do nothing about it. The forgiveness exists because that is what he wants to do for you and that is what he has done. My ability to trust his promise, the strength of my faith, does not negate the word given to me. It cannot remove the promise or deny what God has said and done. It is there. Your faith or your sin do not win or lose the promise. The promise is the promise. It is done. It is finished. Even on your worst days, when it seems like the devil is winning and that old Adam in you, that old sinner in you, is having his way today, God's promise still stands firm. That's why we gather here. That's why we celebrate communion every Sunday. That's why we have church. That's why we have Lent. That's why we have Holy Week and Good Friday and Easter and all the stuff. To hear the promise over and over and over again. So we always know where we can go to hear this good word. This God word spoken into our ears to revive us, to give us hope in a future, to help us on life's journey towards the new Jerusalem that is to come where all temptations, all sins, all minivans will be taken away and we will not have to trust in those things or worry about those things anymore. Instead, you'll finally behold Christ in all his glory as he welcomes you as his child. Thanks be to God. Amen.